You're listening to the Sojourn Church New Albany Sermon Series, Come Home, Full Life in a Whole Church. In this series, we see that those who come to Christ find new life in a new family. We'll learn why the church exists, what it does, and how each of us is a valuable part. Now hear the word of the Lord. If another believer sins against you, go privately and point out the offense. If the other person listens and confesses it, you have won that person back. But if you are unsuccessful, take one or two others with you and go back again, so that everything you say may be confirmed by two or three witnesses. If the person still refuses to listen, take your case to the church. Then if he or she won't accept the church's decision, treat that person as a pagan or a corrupt tax collector. I tell you the truth, whatever you forbid on earth will be forbidden in heaven, and whatever you permit on earth will be permitted in heaven. I also tell you this, if two of you agree here on earth concerning anything you ask, my Father in heaven will do it for you. For where two or three gather together as my followers, I am there among them. Then Peter came to him and asked, Lord, how often should I forgive someone who sins against me? Seven times? No, not seven times, Jesus replied, but 70 times seven. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven can be compared to a king who decided to bring his accounts up to date with servants who had borrowed money from him. In the process, one of his debtors was brought in who owed him millions of dollars. He couldn't pay, so his master ordered that he be sold along with his wife, his children, and everything he owned to pay the debt. But the man man fell down before his master, and he begged him, Please be patient with me, and I will pay it all. Then his master was filled with pity for him, and he released him and forgave his debt. But when the man left the king, he went to a fellow servant who owed him a few thousand dollars. He grabbed him by the throat and demanded instant payment. His fellow servant fell down before him and begged for a little more time. Be patient with me and I will pay it, he pleaded. But his creditor wouldn't wait. He had the man arrested and put in prison until the debt could be paid in full. When some of the other servants saw this, they were very upset. They went to the king and told him everything that had happened. Then the king called in the man he had forgiven and said, You evil servant, I forgave you that tremendous debt because you bleated with me. Shouldn't you have mercy on your fellow servant just as I had mercy on you? Then the angry king sent the man to prison to be tortured until he paid his entire debt. That's what my heavenly father will do to you if you refuse to forgive your brothers and sisters from your heart. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks Thanks be to God. God. Good morning, Sojourn. Peace be with you. My name's Jonah. I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, Thanks for joining us wherever you are. And again, thank you to our men and women from the armed uh, armed forces. Uh, We're grateful for your work, uh, for your service to our country. It's a privilege to be born here and to enjoy many of the beautiful freedoms we have. We're thankful. Um, We don't live in fear of persecution. We don't live in fear of day-to-day danger in so many ways, and we're grateful for you all, and we hope that you feel appreciated today. Uh, This is our last week in our series called Come Home, Full Life in a Whole Church, where where we've talked about 
what does it mean to be the church? What is a church? What does the church do? And how do we find our place there? The fundamental invitation that we've received throughout this series is to come to Jesus, join his new family, which is called the church, and be transformed. We're going to spend a couple of months over the summer in Philippians starting next week in a short book written by Paul. It's a letter. We call it a book now, but it was really a letter. It was written by Paul, the apostle, to some of his closest friends. And we're calling the series Prison Poems, Citizens of Joy and Circumstances of Suffering. We're going to look to this letter that was written in prison with a beautiful poem right at the center to learn what it means to be the church when life is hard. What does it look like to have the joy of Christ, the peace of Christ, the strength of Christ, even when circumstances aren't the way we would want them to be? One of the realities that we've stressed through our current series, Matthew 15 through 18, uh, that we will continue throughout the book of Philippians is, is that the church is a body. It's a people. It's not an individual Sunday service or a program. This is why we've tried hard to say that we haven't canceled church. The church isn't canceled. Uh, It's not closed either. We've suspended in-person gatherings, but the church rolls on. Um, We've been trying to share stories of the the amazing ways that this has been happening uh, through our Wednesday updates on Facebook. You can go back and listen to those or throughout sermons in the series. Um, Our in-person gatherings have been suspended, but the church rolls on. We are a people journeying towards the kingdom of God which is our true home. Because we are a body, one body with many parts, we, we belong to one another and we have great responsibility to each other. The second half of Matthew, the verses that Kristen just read for us, is one of the most potentially dangerous sections of the entire gospel of Matthew. If not handled with care and great love, It can cause great harm to God's people and bring shame to the name of Christ amongst the nations. But if we handle it well, if if we're able to put some of our defenses down and receive this teaching of Jesus as an invitation to life built on all we've learned over the last three chapters of Matthew, all we've learned of what it means to be the church and all we've learned about what the church does, if we can receive these words as an invitation to life built on those foundations, this passage holds incredible power for not only our personal transformation, but the transformation of our whole community, becoming more and more like Christ. And at the core, what this text is showing us is that the pain of confrontation leads to the power of transformation. In the chapters leading up to this, Jesus has offered various lessons um, on different forms of self-denial. And at the core, he's he's inviting us to become like children ourselves. So before getting to what we're talking about for the bulk of this morning, it, it might be worth putting a note down to go back and read the last couple of chapters. What Jesus is saying here assumes you are doing your work. It assumes that you are working on your soul, that you are pursuing Jesus. You are learning how to lay down your own rights and become more and more like a child in the kingdom of God. That is the assumption undergirding this text, that that there is a, a high degree of personal diligence in place in your own life before moving into these commands. So from that place of personal diligence, Jesus commands us out. So he says in verse 15, If another believer sins against you, 
go privately and point out the offense. We're going to spend a little bit of extra time on that one verse because it informs the rest of the passage. Uh, First, I want you to notice here that Jesus is not giving permission to go and point out offense to somebody. He's not saying you're allowed to do this. It's a command. He says, go and do this. Uh, So this process of kind of confrontation is not an optional activity in the Christian life. It's not reserved just for the super spiritual. It's not just reserved for the church staff or the deacons or the pastors. This is not an optional activity in the Christian life. Jesus commands us to go and point out offenses. And to who? So first, this is not optional, it's a command. Second, notice who we are commanded to confront. Other Christians, confrontation of sin is a privilege of the family of God. The goal, it's not punitive. It's not to get someone in trouble or shame them, but rather to restore them. Or later in the passages, Jesus would say to win them back. So to put it real clearly, what this passage is teaching us is we are not to confront the sins of people outside of the church. Put that another way, we must stop expecting people who have no allegiance to Jesus to believe as though they did. The first question we need to ask when someone is far from God isn't, you know, our moral or ethical positions on these different issues. It's who do you say Jesus is? If someone asks you, well, what do you think about this? Or what does your church believe about that? The first question is, well, who do you say Jesus is? Because if Jesus isn't king in your life, it doesn't, we're going to see that differently. And I care more about your position on Christ than I care about many other issues. Pretty much all of them. I'm just, you know, a little theological nitpicky in my brain right now. That's the first question that we ask. Who do you say Jesus is? The picture here is one of believers, a body committed to one another's growth. That we see we are not autonomous individuals. We are a body that belongs to one another, responsible for our entire growth. If one part of the body suffers, we all suffer. If one part of the body is in sin, we are all sin in sin. To put it a little bit more simply, if you're a member here, which is what we believe the scriptures teach, commitment to a local body, this is your church, then you don't need to go police other churches. We don't need to police those outside of the church. This passage is dealing with private sins between believers, private sins between one body. We certainly speak against systems of oppression. We exercise our freedoms to try and change laws. That is something different. We are talking about personal sins between Christians within a church. And so third notice, he says, sins against you. We confront private and then personal sins between Christians within the church. Jesus is aware that people in his family will still sin, and that sin is relational. It's between people. It happens in the context of relationships. So when someone sins, let's think about what does that mean for a second. Uh, What Jesus is talking about here, these are clear, consistent behaviors violating Jesus's commands. Think about the Ten Commandments. If you're like, well, what does that mean? Think about the Ten Commandments. We confront someone when they sin against us. We don't confront bad days. We don't don't confront 
one bad mistake. We confront patterns of relational sin. So again, think through the Ten Commandments. And, you know, certainly there may be particularly egregious instances where we do, but in general, the, the normal rhythm of the Christian life is when we see a brother or sister in our body who's consistently breaking, who has a pattern of living that is a departure from the way of Christ, then we go and we confront them. When a brother or sister in Christ sins against you, confront them. Now, there, there are rare instances where someone needs to do this for you, where it may not be healthy or wise for you to confront the person who sinned against you. These are situations of abuse or other very difficult situations. Those are the exception. If, if you are in a situation like that, call one of your pastors immediately, and if appropriate, call the law enforcement. But in the, the normal, regular rhythms of life in the family of God, our first step is not going to a friend. It's not going to your community group leader or writing an email to a pastor. It's not going on Facebook to ask for advice about what to do with this person, even though you haven't mentioned their name. All of these ways that we try to address something. If a brother or sister has sinned against you, go and talk to them in private. Inevitably, someone's going to call you and say, you know, whatever, Jeff said this about me and Susie said that about me and I don't know what to do about it. What do you think I should do about it? As a body, to be committed to one another's growth, the peace and the purity of our church, our response in nearly every situation needs to be, you need to go talk to them about it. We don't indulge those conversations or the ways of avoiding that painful, awkward confrontation. We tell them, go and talk about it. This is the normal rhythm of the Christian life and what it means to belong to one another. It doesn't mean we're out sin hunting on everybody. It just means that if you want to be a part of this body at Sojourn Church, we take each other's health seriously and we take this passage seriously. And so when we see someone in a consistent pattern departing from the way of Christ, we will go and talk to them about it. When someone sins against us, we will talk to them about it. And if you, if you were listening, as Kristen read this, there may come a time when you do need to involve other people. The first step is always for you to go in nearly every situation. As you heard, there may come a time when you do need to involve other people. Jesus goes on from here to describe what happens when a person who does not respond to confrontation well. What, how do we do that? When you go and confront someone's sin and they come back with anger or more accusations or lies, defensiveness, what do we do? It's a process that the, the church through church history, has now come to be known as church discipline. We take the health of our body, again, very seriously, and church discipline is one of the ways that we do so. This, Matthew 15, or 18, verse 15, this is the first step of church discipline, an individual going and talking to the person who sinned against them. If you look in your bulletin today on the app, there's a brief article that we've written on what the rest of this process looks like. It goes into greater detail uh, on what church, church discipline is, why it is, why we do it, how we do it. So if you want to know what does the rest of that look like or how do we practice that here, you can read that article. It's called This Beautiful Church. You can read it in your bulletin or if you've been through the membership class, it's in the membership booklet. Uh, for this morning's sake, though, I, I just want to focus on our personal responsibility in this process. Each person, each of us has a duty to this body to confront sin for the sake of their good, 
for the sake of the good of our entire body. So that is what we do. Uh, What questions are almost always easier to answer than how questions, though? So that's the what of what we do. Perhaps more difficult is how do we do it? This is where we run the risk of damaging people. If our posture is in the wrong place or we forget the motivation, we can we can really damage people. If we try to create a culture of sin management where we're always on the lookout for who we're going to call out or who's going to get it today, everyone will be on edge and anxious and we'll live out of fear, not out of power and freedom like the Spirit has promised us. So Peter starts the how portion of this lesson with a great question. In verse 21, then Peter came to him and asked, Lord, how often should I forgive someone who sins against me? Seven times? Seems pretty reasonable. How long do I keep letting him do this to me? Is seven times enough? And <laughs> Jesus says, oh, no, no, no. Way, way more than that. 70 times seven. And so this is where it can be helpful to, I don't know, learn to read the Bible in a, maybe a fuller sense or understand the heart and motivation of Jesus. So for my math people out there, I'm relatively sure, I haven't run this through a calculator, I'm relatively sure 70 times 7 is 490, right? The band's in the room, 490, something like that. It's more than 400, less than 700. Hundreds of, let's just for the sake of argument, call 490 times. Jesus is not instructing us here to carry around a checklist with 490 boxes in it. And every time you forgive Jack, you check one of those boxes. And then when you get to sin number 489, you don't say, now listen, Jack, This is your last chance. He's not saying we count 490 specific acts of forgiveness and then we're done with them. The point here is wholeness. Seven is a number of completion in the Bible. If you guys were in here, we would do uh, call and response time. How many days was the earth made in? Seven days. Throughout the scripture, you'll see numbers like seven, like 12 show up as numbers of fullness, of wholeness. Jesus is saying, you're gonna forgive him for the sake of super wholeness, wholeness times wholeness. What what he's saying is you forgive until you don't need to do it anymore. The hope of forgiveness is restoration and wholeness. And sometimes in a fallen, broken world, waiting for the king to come and make all things new, forgiveness will be more about your soul than restoring the relationship. Wholeness needs to be in our mind when we're thinking about forgiveness, both our wholeness the wholeness of the person we're forgiving, and the wholeness of our body. And we have to realize forgiveness does not always mean restoration. It doesn't mean things may necessarily go back to the way that they were. Reconciliation, forgiveness, will not always result in the relationship going back the way that it was. That's why it can be helpful to remember that forgiveness is just as much about our wholeness as it is the other person's wholeness. Some people in our lives who sin against us will never ask us for forgiveness. Or maybe they'll only ask forgiveness once they're caught in a worse sin and they'll, you know, repent in a showy way to try to get out of something. Some who sin against us will die before they can ask us for forgiveness. Many of us will have to learn how to live through life without having the privilege or the opportunity of being repented to, of hearing the person who sinned against us, asking for forgiveness. But we, as individuals, 
as a part of this body, we have the power in Christ to release people from their debt to us. We can be free of our anger and hurt while also being wise about how we move forward with a person. We, we see this in the story that Jesus uses to explain what he means. So he says to Peter that the kingdom of God is like a king who calls in his debts. Now listen, whenever Jesus tells a story, generally speaking, do not assume you are the king in the story. He tells stories to help us identify and to learn lessons that maybe be difficult or painful for us. And if there's an obvious hero in the story, assume that that is not you, that you are somebody else in the story. A lot of us think that we're so wonderful and we jump right to, the, to being the king. But listen, assume that you are not supposed to identify with the king. We are rarely the hero in these stories. So you need to see you are the person in debt. I'll just shortchange some of your reflection here. When you go read this after church today, Assume you're the one in debt and see what the Lord says to you in it. In verse 24, we read, in the process, one of his debtors was brought in who owned him millions of dollars. Can you imagine? I mean, I don't know what you do in life to get millions of dollars in debt, but then if all of that was called in at one time, what would you do? Probably what this guy does. Verse 26, the man fell down before his master and begged him. Please be patient with me. I'll pay all of it. Then his master was filled with pity for him and he released him and forgave his debt. (laughs) You have to see the master did not have to do this. And I love how Jesus says he released him. Have you ever paid off a big debt? I remember when we paid off the last of our student loan debts, my wife and I, and we felt so free. Jesus is reminding us that we have an impossible debt before God, one that enslaves us, one that is oppressive to us, but in Christ, he would forgive us and set us free. We are not set free. Notice the master doesn't say, man, I really appreciate your speech there. I really appreciate your sincerity and your fervor for saying you'd pay it all back. He's, we're not set free because of our promises to pay back every penny, or our promises to make good on it, but rather through the generosity of the master, through the generous riches of the king. And in Christ, we see the king's own infinitely valuable life would be given as payment for our sin. In Christ, you have been set free. He forgives you seven times, 70 times. He forgives you until you are whole. If you search the scriptures, every time we are commanded to forgive others, that command is rooted in God's forgiveness of us in Christ. Remember how much you've been forgiven, so now go and forgive. As the people of God, we forgive others because we have been forgiven. We love because he first loved us. We forgive generously because that's how God has forgiven us, unlike the servant here. He demands someone who owes him money pay him back. He receives mercy himself, but he withholds mercy from others. Quick to receive the generosity of a king and quick to hold any generosity of his own. And listen to what the master says to him after. You evil servant, I forgave you that tremendous debt because you pleaded with me. Shouldn't you have mercy on your fellow servant? 
just as I had mercy on you. The grace of God comes to us to move through us. Why does God forgive us? Because he loves us and longs to make us whole. Yes, it is unpleasant when God confronts us. It is often painful. Especially especially if you came to Christ when you were young or in your teenage years. And most of your bad sins come after you were a Christian or you've been following Jesus for 15, 20 years and you see new depths of your sin. You see your sin in new light. But the wounds of the Lord are medicine meant to heal us. He disciplines those he loves so that in time they may have a peaceful harvest of right living. So in our confrontation of our brothers and sisters, we have to assume the same posture our Lord has assumed with us. We follow the same patterns. One one of the apostles would put it quite simply for us in Galatians chapter 6. If another believer is overcome by some sin, you who are godly should gently and humbly help that person back onto the right path. Think about how you tend to your own body, your physical body. What do you do when you have a wound on your body, an open sore? You sit there and poke at it. You pour salt on it. You squeeze lemon juice. Do you do things to figure out how much you can make it hurt or how much you can infect it? Like, that's ridiculous. Of course not. It hurts you when you do that. Jesus, the Bible is trying to help us see we belong to one another and we are one body and we must tend to the wounds in each other the same way we would tend to a physical wound on our own body. When when we confront somebody, our words must be humble and gentle. Think about the way you pour peroxide on a child's scraped knee. You may have to blow on it a little bit, right? You have to be slow and gentle. Yes, it will hurt and be painful, but that is part of the medicine. To put it real simply, Confronting the sin of another, generously extending the forgiveness we have received in Christ is not an act of revenge or spite. It is an act of love for the good of our body. You know this in your own life. The pain of God confronting us in our sin gives way to the power of our own transformation. Waking up to the reality of how deep in debt we are to God, how broken we are, how needy we are, that pain gives way to the sweet feeling of release, freedom, and power when we see Christ died for us, Christ was raised for us, and by his grace, he saves us. The pain of God confronting you and your sin has given way to the power of your own transformation and experience of the love of God. When we take this seriously, we realize we get to be the instruments of someone else's transformation. As one author put it one time, we get to be instruments in the hands of the Redeemer, right? He, he will use us to help somebody else experience the life and freedom that Christ died to give to them. So, so I want to end super practically. Moving forward, get ready for some cheese now, people. Moving forward as a church, we're going to start keeping it real. What do I, and it would have been great if you all were in here for that because the awkward laughs, I live for the awkward, silent laughs where people are like, kind of funny, kind of lame, but I think it's helpful. So if you don't come up with your own acronym. So here's what keeping it real means. How do we confront people? 
R, the R, remember your own neediness. Before you go talk to somebody, before you find yourself moving to approach somebody, remember how great your debt was to Christ and how generous God's forgiveness in Christ to you is. This will keep you humble. This will help you maintain a gentle posture. Remember your own neediness. E, embrace that they belong to you. You are one body, so you approach them with love. You tend to their brokenness the way you would want your brokenness tended to. You are seeking to heal and not wound. So you come with gentle words, speaking to them like you would be spoken to. Remember your neediness, embrace they belong to you, approach and confront in private. Please do not out them publicly or shame them. If this is a private sin, don't take to Facebook, don't take to Twitter, don't take to ambiguously referencing them. If someone has sinned against you, go in private and confront them. Approach and confront them privately. This is how you would want to be confronted. Not, not in front of the team meeting, not over family dinner, in private. This is an act of love. Even this is an act of generosity, of laying your desire to be proven right down, of laying your desire to be vindicated down. This is an act of love, seeking their restoration. Approach and confront in private. And then fourth, lead them to Jesus. You are calling your brother or sister to come home to live in Christ. You're calling them to remember that Jesus has a better way for them. And even more so, even more than saying, Jesus has a better way for you, we get to remind them, Jesus has made a better way for you through his death and resurrection. You have the privilege of reminding them that they are safe and loved in Christ. They are not in trouble, but there is a better way for them. The pain of confrontation gives way to the power of transformation. So again, remember your own neediness, embrace that they belong to you, approach and confront in private, lead them to Jesus. The pain of confrontation gives way to the power of transformation. We get the privilege, the privilege of carrying the presence of Jesus to our brothers and sisters. So let's remember what gives us this power in the first place. On the night he was betrayed. Do you see how crazy that sentence is that we say every week? Not on the night we gave him great promises. Not on the night we finally deserved it. On the night he was betrayed, Jesus took a loaf of bread, thanked God for it, blessed it, broke it, said, this is my body given for you. Eat this in remembrance of me. In the same way, when the meal was over, he took a cup of wine and he said, this is my blood shed for you. Drink this as often as you gather in remembrance of me. It's what seals our relationship with God. This is what sets us free from the powers of Satan, sin, and death. Uh, I invite you wherever you are to take what you have, take what you can eat, take what you can drink, something incredibly ordinary and receive it as evidence that God loves you, that his body was given for you and his blood was shed for you. Take a picture of yourself, post it on our Facebook feed, on your Facebook feed. Uh, we're using the hashtag, he is risen uh, because we're still in the Easter season. And this is a reminder that we belong to one another and we are family. Uh, I'll pray for us and then remember the power that carries you into transformation. Let's pray. Thank you for listening. Keep in touch with Sojourn New Albany on Facebook or download the free Sojourn Collective app for iPhone or Android. 
where you can see our full library of sermon series, audio and video, discussion questions, event calendar, ministries, and much more.